Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22, and then through J.C. Rao's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. We see in this passage the first of a series of subtle attacks which were made on our Lord during his last days in his earthly ministry. His deadly foes, the Pharisees, saw the influence which he was obtaining, both by his miracles and by his preaching. They were determined by some means to silence him or put him to death. They therefore endeavored to entrap him in his talk. They sent forth their disciples with the Herodians to test him with a hard question. They wished to entice him into saying something which might serve as a handle for an accusation against him. Their scheme, we are told in these verses, entirely failed. They took nothing by their movement and retreated in confusion. The first thing which demands our attention in these verses is the flattering language with which our Lord was accosted by his enemies. Teacher, they said, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. How well these Pharisees and Herodians talked! What smooth and honeyed words these were! They thought, no doubt, that by good words and fair speeches they would throw our Lord off his guard. It might truly be said of them, His mouth was smooth as butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Psalm 55, verse 21. It becomes all professing Christians to be much on their guard against flattery. We mistake greatly if we suppose that persecution and hard usage are the only weapons in Satan's armory. That crafty foe has other engines for doing us mischief, which he knows well how to work. He knows how to poison souls by the world's seductive kindness, when he cannot frighten them by the fiery dart and the sword. Let us not be ignorant of his devices. By peace, he means to destroy many. We are only too apt to forget this truth. We overlook the many examples which God has given us in Scripture for our learning. What brought about the ruin of Samson? Not the armies of the Philistines, but the pretend love of a Philistine woman. What led to Solomon's backsliding? Not the strength of outward enemies, but the smooth talk of his numerous wives. What was the cause of King Hezekiah's great mistake? 
not the sword of Sennacherib or the threats of Rabshakeh, but the flattery of the Babylonian ambassadors. Let us remember these things and be on our guard. Peace often ruins nations more than war. Sweet things occasion far more sicknesses than bitter. The sun makes the traveler cast off his protective garments far sooner than the north wind. Let us beware of the flatterer. Satan is never so dangerous as when he appears as an angel of light. The world is never so dangerous to the Christian as when it smiles. When Judas betrayed his Lord, it was with a kiss. The believer that is able to withstand the world's frown does well but he that is able to withstand its flattery does better. The second thing that demands our attention in these verses is the marvelous wisdom of the reply which our Lord made to his enemies. The Pharisees and Rhodians asked whether it was lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not. They doubtless thought that they had asked a question which our Lord could not answer without giving them an advantage. Had he simply replied that it was lawful to pay tribute, they would have denounced him to the people as one who dishonored the privileges of Israel and considered the children of Abraham no longer free, but subjects to a foreign power. Had he, on the other hand, replied that it was not lawful to pay tribute, they would have denounced him to the Romans as a mover of sedition and a rebel against Caesar, who had refused to pay his taxes. But our Lord's conduct completely baffled them. He demanded to see the tribute money, He asks them, whose head is on that coin? They reply, Caesar's. They acknowledge that Caesar had some authority over them by using money bearing his image and superscription, since he that coins the current money is ruler of the land where that money is current. And at once they receive an irresistibly conclusive answer to their question. Give, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The principle laid down in these well-known words is one of deep importance. There is one obedience owing by every Christian to the civil government under which he lives in all matters which are temporal and not purely spiritual. He may not approve of every requirement of that civil government, but he must submit to the laws of the commonwealth so long as those laws are unrepealing. He must give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. There is another obedience which the Christian owes to the God of the Bible in all matters which are purely spiritual. No temporal loss, no civil disability, no displeasure of the powers that be must ever tempt him to do things which the scripture plainly forbids. His position may be very trying. He may have to suffer much for his conscience sake, but he must never fly in the face of unmistakable requirements of Scripture. If Caesar coins a new gospel, he is not to be obeyed. We must give to God the things that are God's. The subject unquestionably is one of great difficulty and delicacy. It is certain that the church must not swallow up the state. It is no less certain that the state must not swallow up the church. On no point, perhaps, have conscientious men been so much tried? On no point have good men disagreed so much as in solving the problem where the things of Caesar end and the things of God begin. The civil power on the one side has often encroached terribly on the rights of conscience 
as the English Puritans found to their cost in the unhappy times of the Stuarts. The spiritual power on the other side has often pushed its claims to an extravagant extent, so as to take Caesar's specter out of his hands, as it did when the Church of Rome trampled on our own English King John. In order to have a right judgment in all questions of this kind, every true Christian should constantly pray for wisdom from above. The man whose eye is single and whose daily seeks for grace and practical common sense will never be allowed greatly to err. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory.